From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, It's the day after what might be the best Toro Cup yet, and frankly, I had a tough time sleeping last night. That might be because Forte Legato Coffee was even better than advertised. Or it might be the adrenaline from the action-packed first match between Juni Ocasio and Evan Arredondo, which featured rapid-fire submission attacks culminating in Juni's win by armbar with less than a minute to go. It might also be the stellar display of heel hooks from our visitors, Ethan Krellinston and Nikki Ryan, or from locals Andrew Bittner and Isaac Renner. It might also be that this was the most finish-filled Toro Cup yet, with 20 matches and 16 of those ending by way of submission. Whatever it was, I want to thank everyone who came out to support Toro Cup and to support the Women's Center of Wake County, which was the charity benefiting from this event. Thanks especially to everyone who bought merchandise or supported the first week of our Patreon campaign. This is our Toro Cup recap show, and it's packed. If you want to support this show, you can always buy shirts, hats, gee patches, and other stuff at DirtyWhiteBelt.com, or you can pledge support at Patreon.com slash DirtyWhiteBelt. Patreon is a way for you to support the show, and regular supporters get bonus content. There are rewards for every level of contribution, so you might get exclusive photos, you might get early access to the next Toro Cup matches, or you might get a sneak peek at the next Toro Gi. We're also giving out bonus videos that you can request or shout-outs on the podcast, which you'll hear at the end of today's show. So I want to say special thanks to our first supporters and there's still time to join them at patreon.com slash dirty white belt you might also get bonus audio content i want to mention that because lordis Cantu and i did about two hours of interviews both before and after the matches this week so there's no possible way we can get to all of that in this hour-long show so we're probably going to wind up doing two toro cup shows and i hope you enjoy that extra stuff you can see all the results from Toro Cup matches on our Facebook page, which is Cageside Radio, and you can also see those on DirtyWhiteBelt.com, where we're posting videos, as well as 15-second clips of the video finishes. Immediately after the event, Lourdes and I sat down to give our top-level impressions of the best performances, as well as notable aspects of the event that we wanted to highlight. And you can hear that conversation right now. So, Lourdes, I'm going to be honest, I think this was the best Toro Cup so far, and I know that, that you were preoccupied during some of the matches, but like, I'm wondering what your thoughts on that are. Um, I, the matches that I saw, I thought were pretty amazing. Like People had some, um, were doing some really good jiu-jitsu, it was really controlled, I saw some really nice techniques being executed. Um, I think it's, un, you know, I, I love doing the interview, so I, I, I missed some of the matches, um, but the ones that I did see, I, I thought were pretty impressive, so yeah. So I'll tell you, like, my favorite match of the day was uh, probably the main event, Greg Walker against Jared Lawton. And we hadn't seen Jared before because he's up in Maine. Uh, but uh, just an incredible back-and-forth match. Jared ends up winning by armbar, which is no mean feat uh, to get Greg Walker. But, like, that was a terrific back-and-forth match where both guys did a lot of good things. Greg on top trying to pass for most of the match. Uh, Jared sweeping. Uh, and so that was, I think, I think, my favorite match in terms of a back-and-forth match. What, did you get a chance to watch that? 
Um, I, I did not get a chance to watch that. I, I was doing an interview at that time. But one of the ones that I thought that actually made me start sweating was watching um, two of them. One, the Chelsea Kurtzman versus Taylor Saucer match. That one was, I thought, really intense. And I don't know if it was just because I trained with Chelsea or if it, but I, I honestly think it was just because it was just a, a very good match. It was back and forth. And, and Chelsea, um, they both fought intensely all the way through, you know, through the bell. Um, and I thought that one was a really good one. And I also really enjoyed watching um, Nikki Ryan compete. Um, those heel hooks, the, the constant kind of like, I mean, that was, it was, I was cringing because I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is really, it was very intense. Um, and I, I really enjoyed both of those matches. Yeah, I agree with both of those things. Like the Nikki Ryan match, I kept thinking, man, I really hope that dude is able to walk tomorrow because some of those yeah. heel hooks looked extremely tight. And Anthony Garavaglia is a really tough guy, but man, there was a really technical leg lock battle. I wanted to lift up what you said about Chelsea and that like Chelsea has put on two tremendous matches her last two performances. And Taylor Saucer is a beast. And you know, we saw her fight Iman Bilbasi, which is was a, a terrific matchup. And Taylor is just she's good on top, she's good on bottom, she's dangerous with submissions from the top, she's dangerous dangerous with submissions from the bottom. She keeps a great pace and is just a really, really tough opponent and wasn't able and was able to beat Chelsea in the points round, but wasn't able to submit Chelsea. Chelsea was never out of that match. I thought that was a a really game performance by both women and just one that was nonstop action Mm -hmm. from stem to stern, which is Mm -hmm. something I really appreciated. I will tell you a performance I want, like, I want to, I want to, I want to shout out two performances that I thought were outstanding by black belts. And the first is by CJ Murdoch. Um, so I hadn't seen, I, I, I knew that a lot of folks, you know, Scott Dance is really well respected, mm-hmm. like BJ Revolution team guy, very technical guy. CJ's technique looked incredible, and he put Scott in such bad situations with that Omoplata series. Yes. That, and Scott defended, defended the Omoplata, defended the choke that CJ was going for for the Omoplata, defended the crucifix position. CJ does end up winning the match by submission, but like... Just, I think that's more of a virtuoso performance by CJ than anything Scott did wrong. I, um, I thought CJ looked so calm and collected in this match, and just, just the amount of focus he had, I just, it was seemed a little different to me when I watched him this time. Um, he just, it, it just had a different performance or a different feel or vibe to it. He was just really calm. Um, he was, he looked like he was very calculated when he was making his moves. Um, uh, and that that Omoplata series was so tight. I was amazed that anybody would be able to get out of that. Yeah, and I completely concur with you about CJ looking calm. Like it really seemed like he was choosing each technique mm-hmm. as he moved, and it was both both smooth, controlled, and really efficient. The other performance that I wanted to say was outstanding was uh, from Daniel Frank, and Daniel fought Taniela Boo, uh, who is a physical beast and was very explosive. And I saw that. And Daniel Frank just flowed from position to position, ends up finishing with a bow and arrow choke. Really efficient jujitsu, just beautiful jujitsu that I thought look, you know, it's one of those things that looks effortless, even mm-hmm. though it's probably not effortless. Mm-hmm. And I was really happy to see Daniel get the win there. Just really, really efficient technical jujitsu. And I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Cody Malte uh, in his performance against Josh Aguero. You know, Josh, a really tough Pedro Sauer guy. And Cody ends up finishing with a Darce choke. Yeah, I thought that was actually, I, it, and it happened pretty quickly. I was just um, impressed with how fluidly Cody was able to, to move through that series. You know, I know you talked to Junio Ocasio, but his match against Evan Arredondo was a great way to get the show started. Oh my gosh, that was super exciting. It was kind of like we, we the Toro Cup just kind of like 
took off with a bang when they came out, and their match was really exciting. Um, I thought Evan did a really good job. I, I mean, Evan was awesome, and, and Junie was, was great, and he just kept attacking, and Evan just kept escaping. And there was a couple of times that um, I thought for sure that Junie was going to finish because there was one, a head arm triangle, um, and then there was another, like, an arm bar kind of towards the end of the first um, little sequence. And then he ends up finishing, you know, the match with an arm bar at the very end. But um, every time um, it looked like Junie was going for a submission, like, Evan just kept, um, he just kept escaping. And was and he did a really great job of, like, continuing to fight, coming up, and just really making Junie have to continue to move and switch up his game. Yeah, I think that's very wise to point out, like, in that uh, one of the things that I said to Junie before the match is that Junie is a big anti-stalling guy. He hates stalling, always wants to go for the submission. Evan, also always moving, always attacking, always going for the submission. So I told Junie, I was like, I think this will be a really fun match in that, like, neither of these guys is going to try to get up, get to the points around and stall. Both of these guys are going to be coming at, and, and that's why I think, you know, Junie was like, oh, you know, I felt like I should have finished earlier. And I was like, I think that Evan's physical abilities, as well as his attention, to defense were very impressive because Junie finishes a lot of guys with the uh, with the choke and with the chokes that you mentioned that, mm-hmm. that he was threatening as you mentioned does end up finishing an armbar I want to give some credit to Evan for that as well and that, like Evan was down on points you know they get to the points round Junie ends up sweeping and passing he's up on points gets to be about a minute left and uh, his coaches are shouting hey you got to go and having been in that position and seen people in that position it's very easy to be like you know what let's just not get submitted today mm-hmm. let's just and Evan did not do that Evan no. continued to the bell. No, he, he did the whole, like, he, he die like a samurai kind of attitude. You know, he's like, he's just going to go for it. He's not going to lose this on points. And, and you know, it's like, um, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die trying. And, and that's exactly um, the, the feel that came off of that match. And that's the way that it ended, I felt like. It was just, he never quit. He just kept going. And Junie's a tough competitor. I've, I've had the opportunity to go to Unity in, in New York, and that's where... Um, that's where he trains, and, and he was training the day that I the days that I was there, um, and they have an intense um, training regimen there, and so I was I was I, I was really interested to see how that training regimen was going to translate into an actual match, and um, I'm impressed and definitely not disappointed. I think as hot as it was in here today, I think Junie felt really at home, given how they train at Unity. Yes, no, and actually, I asked him that in the interview. I was like, "So, I was like, um, what, what did you think? Is it easier? How hard was it for you to breathe here today?" And he was like, "Actually, it was not so bad because, I mean, at Unity, it's it's stifling hot with the windows closed, and I'm sure it's going to be worse this summer." No, he said it, he said it was totally fine, and I'm sure he was just like, "This is like so much so much air," while the rest of us were kind of really sweating it. So any other final impressions of the Toro Cup? We've talked about a lot of the matches, not all of the matches. I want to flag that you can hear Lourdes' uh, post-match interviews throughout the show. You can also see the, the videos that we took uh, on our Facebook page, which is Cageside Radio and at DirtyWhiteBelt.com. But so any other impressions of the Toro Cup today that you want to leave the listeners with? It's just been awesome that I've been able to come to almost every Toro Cup. I think I was at the first one, and, and I've been to almost every, I think I've been to all of them since then. Maybe I've missed one. Um, and I got to say, each one has gotten better. And it's pretty awesome that it started out as this, like, like little, like, homegrown kind of, like, at the TJJ, you know, uh, 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 gym in, in the old gym. And, and it was kind of small and a bunch of us coming out and supporting our friends. And then now we have people coming from, you know, Maine and New York and from all over the place. And 
And, you know, there's a lot of really good jiu-jitsu happening in the Triangle area. There's a lot of good people here. And it's awesome that people outside of the area are now starting to recognize that and starting to want to come and be a part of what, what's happening here. So I'm, I'm really excited. I think I'm, I'm loving that Toro Cup is growing, and I'm really loving what it's doing for the community. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, Betsy. I uh, couldn't help but notice that U.S. Grappling Richmond is coming up at the end of June. It is June 24th in Richmond, Virginia. So here's my question for you, since we are going to be heading up that way. Tell me a little bit about the BJJ scene in Richmond. What can we expect at the tournament? There's a ton of great gyms, uh, starting with Revolution BJJ, Andrew Smith School, where you also have Daniel Frank, Jarrett Church, Andrew Silver, a bunch of terrific black belts, John Bagels Telford, our good friend, just moved up there. Seth Smith School, Upstream BJJ, is a new uh, a new school on the scene, and Seth's a great instructor, friend of the show, and former guest. You also have Eric Bruto and Liz Susson's School, Richmond BJJ, and so a lot of really quality jiu-jitsu in Richmond. Plus, it's sort of the central meeting point for those of us from North Carolina to meet with folks from the D.C. metro area. And so it should be a terrific turnout of great jiu-jitsu. I can't wait for some good rolls. That would be U.S. Grappling, Richmond, June 24th. Thanks for supporting the people who support us. So those are our overall impressions of the event. And it's always interesting to in- introduce that community aspect of Toro Cup to outstanding practitioners of jiu-jitsu from outside the North Carolina area. You heard us talk about a few of those. Junio Casio of Unity, Nikki Ryan from Team Henzo Gracie, Ethan Krellenston from TriStar Gym, who are outstanding practitioners that came in to compete. A lot of locals were excited to train with those guys and to watch them compete. So I wanted to talk to each of them to get their impressions of the event. We talked with Ethan Krellenston and Nikki Ryan before their matches and asked them some things about their preparation rituals, about training with John Donaher, about how Ethan gets so many triangles, and a little bit more. So we're going to go to that pre-match interview right now, and you'll hear from them after their matches later in the show. So we're sitting here with Ethan and Nikki before their matches. You guys have a seminar tomorrow at Elevate MMA where we rolled last night. Um, what are your impressions of the Toro Cup so far? Uh, Nikki, we'll start with you. Um, you know, it seems like a very uh, well-run event. You know, uh, pretty much uh, like everything seems to be like uh, on time and uh, well-run, and I'm uh, excited to compete. Yeah, it looks like a really well-organized event. I think Nikki and I are going more near the end, so we're just chilling for now, I guess, watching the matches. So you guys are teaching a seminar tomorrow, and I was wondering if you guys, A, if you know the topic yet, and B, if you guys, how do you organize, like, tag team teaching a seminar? Because clearly you guys have similarities to your game, but you also like to do different stuff. So we'll start with you, Ethan. So uh, I guess (laughs) what the plan is is one of us is going to start first with uh, three to four techniques, or two to three, depending on how many... uh, how many guys there are, I guess, or what the skill level is. And, uh, and then the other one will go do the same thing, three to four, two to four techniques. And then we'll do some Q&A and then some open mat. Uh, as far as what we're going to teach, I think we're still, we have ideas, but we're going to, yeah, and, and we're going to go over, it's more of a, I think they're, they're intending it for be, to, to be a, a leg lock seminar, but we're definitely going to do more than only leg locks. Have you guys done like a team, uh, you know, the two of you seminar before? And like, do you discuss with each other, like, hey, what do you want to do beforehand, or how do you situate this? Uh, well, this is actually my first seminar I'm ever teaching, so yeah, I, just, I haven't done this at all yet. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, pretty much like what Ethan said, we're just uh, first we're gonna start out by like asking them uh, like what they want to learn, and you know, uh, then two to four techniques uh, each person, and then Q and A. 
uh, and then after that we'll do some live training. So are you excited to teach your first seminar? Are you nervous? How does it compare to competing? Do you get more nervous competing, or are you more nervous about this? I definitely get more nervous competing, but uh, I definitely also do build up some nerves uh, when I find out that I have to teach a, either a private or like a seminar. So Paul from the Matt Tricks podcast, uh, who, who you trained with, told me that you changed his triangle game and the way he thinks about triangles, Ethan. And so I'm wondering, what do you think the biggest mistake people make when thinking about or executing triangles is? Or what is the one thing that you think everybody listening to this podcast ought to know about triangles that maybe they don't know that is not standard? Okay, so number one, the, big, the, the biggest misconception about triangles? Uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, I... Uh, I, it's really tough to answer that. I don't, I don't know like what everyone's doing wrong. You know, I just I just get a lot of triangles in competition, uh, but I'm not. I don't feel like I've mastered them in that sense yet. Well, what do you think people should know like about your setups and like why how you're able to set up so many triangles in competition? Uh, well, I guess I'm not going to give away too much. Uh, maybe maybe like a lot of times people just kind of try and pass your guard with with lazy posture, and it, it just makes it easier to control a wrist and shoot up a triangle. And then maybe get off, up, get off other attacks from that as they posture up, enter the legs, stuff like that. So maybe I guess posture is one of the common mistakes people are making. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being winning by advantage and 10 being winning by heel hook, how cool are Paul from the Matrix podcast's cats? They, they got to be a solid 25. Yeah, yeah. those cats, I, I, if, he, if he hears this, it's going to be really funny. He, he let me stay at his place in Germany while I was out there. Uh, training with all of them and I'm allergic to cats so it was you know it, it's kind of sucked at first but we we became pretty close I would uh, play with a lot of their toys with them I'd basically fuck around with them for a solid 45 minutes after every training session uh, it was very entertaining yeah so uh, like you guys both compete a lot and you both have some notable wins. And I'm going to ask each of you in turn, but with uh, Nikki first. I'm wondering, what do you consider your biggest win in competition or the win that you're proudest of, the thing that's most important to you personally? So I think my biggest win in competition yet is probably against uh, Alexis Aldusin. He's, uh, he's a Nogi black belt. He placed second at PANS, I think, 2016 black belt. And I, uh, I competed against him at ADCC trials, and I split him in 20 seconds with an outside heel up. What about you, Ethan? What do you think your biggest win in competition so far is? Biggest win in competition would have to be winning the uh, West Coast Trials, giving me a chance to compete in Finland. Um, I don't know about the biggest name that I've beaten. You know, a lot of guys I've faced have very big names. Oh, yeah, there's, uh, there's a very decorated black belt, sorry, at the Kumite, who recently competed in the Worlds. Uh, he placed third in the Worlds, lost to Kyotera. Um, forget his name but he was very good and I guess that would be a very notable victory not to take anything away from the other guys competing against but yeah so you guys are known for your no-gi game but I'm wondering like how much do you train in the gi and do you think that those two are there uh, if at all and what is the interplay between those two arts in your eyes okay so I'm actually just starting to train in the gi uh, I'm gonna start with my uh after my match with Marvin yeah so right now I I uh I don't train in the gi at all, but uh, I'm definitely going to start, and I'm going to also start competing in the gi eventually. Are you going to compete at no-stripe white belt and hurt a lot of white belt's feelings? <laughs> no, um, hopefully I'll be getting promoted by the end of this month. What, what about you, Ethan? What, what, what are your thoughts on the gi? I definitely intend on competing in the gi. Uh, 
since West Coast Trials, I've pretty much been focused virtually 100% on Nogi. Uh, I'm also competing a lot more in Nogi competitions. So definitely focused on Nogi now, but Gi competitions are definitely on my mind for the future. So do you guys set competition goals in terms of tournament wins, supervite wins? Do you have things in your head that's like, this is something I want to achieve by the end of my career? And if so, what are some of the, like, the high priority items for you either now or eventually as you move on? Uh, I think we all definitely intend on becoming like world champions in a weight class in pretty much every rule set, ADCC, uh, IBJJF, you know, all across the board. Uh, obviously, that's a big, you know, tough goal to accomplish, but pretty sure we all intend on doing something along those lines. Do you agree with that, or do you think about goals differently? Um, I, I mostly agree with, with what Ethan said. Uh, sometimes I have different goals, such as instead of winning a tournament, beating a certain guy. Like if I'm doing like ADCC, and like you know, I think the chances are against me to win. I'll be like, oh, you know, I want to at least beat this guy and get to that, like uh, like that round in the tournament. Other than the Toro Cup, which is obviously the most important and prestigious competition in jiu-jitsu. Uh, what, 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 are the most, what are the things do you have coming up? Your super fight with Marvin. But like other than that, what big competitions do you have that you're excited about? Uh, so far right now, uh, the only thing that I have planned is Marvin. Uh, after Marvin, I'm planning to take a little break and focus on training. You know, I've been traveling a lot over the past two months. I was gone for like, like four weeks almost. And uh, so I just really want to focus on, you know, progressing my techniques. Okay, so uh, this weekend, Toro Cup, obviously. Next weekend uh, is the kind of final rematch, grudge match, rubber match, whatever the hell you want to call it, with me and JM, who armbarred me at the finishers, 145. Uh, so it'd be good to settle that grudge once and for all. Uh, then the weekend after that, I have a match with Marvin Castell in Miami. Then I think a couple weekends off. Then I have a match with Nathan Orchard at the uh, sub-series pro in uh, Nova Scotia with Cat Clark. Then we may be doing Gracie Worlds, we may take a little time off, and then, of course, end of September, uh, ADCC Finland, hope to become much better by then and win, yeah. What do you guys think the most important thing you've learned from John Donaher is? Uh, well, I mean, we would literally suck if it wasn't for John. Like, we would be awful at Jiu-Jitsu, nowhere near the level he is, so, like, like it's, it's, I mean, like, it's really, we're only good because of John. <laughs> yeah, I, there, we, we learn so much from him every single day, so it's, it's beyond helpful to have him teach us and also to get roles with guys like Gary, Gordon, Eddie, and all the other guys there. Me and Nikki roll so much. He's prepared me so much for these competitions. So many guys in, in Henzo Gracie and John's class are just... Just they fly under under the radar and they're just so good, such good rounds. It's it's really we learn a lot there. Does he really wear the rash guard everywhere? Yeah, he. Uh, I've never seen him in person without a rash guard on. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So that's that's true. That's true, right? Yes. <laughs> so, um, what do you think people should know about you that they don't know about you? Um, a lot of people don't know that I have like a juicy game outside of heel hooks like really in the gym like I don't hit heel hooks often I mostly am like attacking the back triangles arm bars and things like that what about you Ethan what, what do people when what, what do you think people ought to know about you that they don't necessarily know 
I don't know. Um, I'm allergic to cats. I don't know. My I, I do jiu-jitsu. I, I don't really... Like, yeah, obviously I hit a lot of triangles competition, but it's it's not my only move. Like, you know, I, I guess... I don't know if people don't know that or think that's my only move. I don't know. I'm pretty versatile, I'd say, in my submission spectrum. Uh, Let's talk about your opponents today so we can maybe get some thoughts from you guys after the matches. But before, you know, you're competing against DeAndre. I know you've competed against DeAndre before. What do you know about him? What do you expect from the match today? So, from what I remember from the match at the Finishers 135, he, uh, I think we, we started standing, he threw up, he, he went for like a flying guillotine, and uh, it, felt, it felt dangerous. It felt, so I, I know he kind of has good guillotine for sure. Uh, I sat guard to defend the guillotine. He started passing, and again, I felt like some, you know, some danger there. Some, some uh, good, kind of, careful pressure. Uh, so I don't expect an easy match. I'm sure he's progressed since we've had that match, and I'm sure I progressed since we've had that match as well. So it'll be interesting. Nikki, what do you know about your opponent today, and what do you expect from your match? So uh, I've actually competed against my opponent. I uh, had him uh, second round at the East Coast Trials for ADCC. I, uh, I entered into his legs, and uh, he wound up pummeling into 50-50, and then I wound up hitting a toe hold, and it took around two minutes to, uh, to finish the match. Do you have a similar strategy today, do you think? Uh, today, I'm, I'm planning to you know, try and hit something else, like a, like a back take, you know, just to show everybody that I don't only know heel hooks. So yeah, I'm uh, <clears throat> planning to, to, take his, to uh, get on top, pass, and take his back. On a scale of 1 to 10, you're teaching a seminar at Cody's gym tomorrow. How impressive on a scale of 1 to 10 is Cody's beard? <laughs> Say, 8 and a half. <laughs> yeah, I'd go uh, 8.75, I suppose. Well, thank you guys for taking the time to talk to us today. Best of luck in your matches. Maybe we'll catch you after. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff. They do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian jiu-jitsu geese or Valetudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one. 24 Lotter Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. We'll hear from Ethan and Nikki again later in the show in a post-match interview with Lourdes after Nikki's match with Anthony Garavaglia and Ethan's match with DeAndre Corbet. One of the best purple belts in the world is Juni Ocasio of Unity Jiu-Jitsu in New York City. He came down to Toro Cup to showcase his exciting, action-packed style. We knew his match with Evan Arredondo would be a fast-paced, no-stalling affair, and it really didn't disappoint. Lourdes sat down with Juni right after that match concluded, and here's that interview. I'm speaking with Juni of Unity, and he just finished his Toro Cup match. It was really intense and exciting, and there was a couple of times when um, I thought for sure that the match was going to end early. Yeah, I felt like I had maybe the head and arm was the tightest one, where I felt them gulp, which is why I exploded for that. I probably should have relaxed a little bit more, and I probably most definitely would have got the finish. Uh, I was trying to push the match and really finish it. Uh, 
maybe like I think three of the attempts I did were like solid. And if I just would have like relaxed, took my time, would have finished it. Wouldn't have to go into overtime, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not happy with the fact that I went into overtime. I was wondering, like, with the armbar attempt that you did later on in the in the in the to first, finish. Yeah, that that finish. Like, what did, did you think? Like, when did you? Know? Oh, I knew I was gonna get it because going into that extra match, even if I looked hard, I'm, I'm usually I train in really really bad conditions, so I'm used to pushing no matter what. So I was confident I would be able to sweep. I was confident I'd be able to stay on top. And once I passed, I was just more concerned with finishing the fight more than winning on points. So that last attempt where he went for the arm lock, which it wasn't really in, so I was able to get out. And he left his arm open, and the minute I grabbed it, he was stuck, and I knew I, knew I was going to get it. You, you just mentioned the, uh, the conditions that you train in. And, yeah. um, I know that you train at Unity in, in New York under um, Morello, yeah. correct? And, um, and I, I know I've seen you training there, so tell me what it's like to, I, I know I've been there, but for people that have not yet been to Unity, um, what, what could they expect or you know, what kind of conditions are you training It depends uh, what you're going there for, if you're going for a night class. Because everything is hard training at Unity. It's all very hard training, but good people. Mm -hmm. We just want to train hard, we're like-minded, train hard, windows closed, no air, you know, hard conditions. So when we go fight, when it gets sweaty and you get tired, it's not going to be a factor. You're gonna be kind of used to it and be like, okay, I gotta go, I gotta push. You know, um, it's just a, it's a great place to go. But if you go to the pro training, you know you gotta be prepared to train and work hard. Like a, when you're there, you're training, you're fighting as if you're training for a world, world, world championship. Yeah, the intensity level of training there, I thought was um, it, it was it was very it was very intense and you have yeah. a lot of really good people that are that are training and everybody's trying to get into those points um one of the things i thought was interesting um you guys play a game there um where you go in the middle and it's the first person to, to score yeah uh king of the hill yeah yes. uh it's just yeah you gotta be the guy to sweep and not get past and you get to stay in and fight if not then you get it out and another person goes in um so one of the questions that a friend asked, they want to know how easy it is to breathe in this room compared to the pro training at Unity. Much better. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely breathe. But if you notice, I ran outside to get a little sweat going on in the sun, then came in. I mean, the match was still tiring. He's a very, uh, the guy, uh, Evan, he's a very explosive guy, which was what I expected. So, yeah, I mean, as far as the match goes, it was exactly what I put in my head, worst case scenario. And uh, as far as, like, breathing, yeah, it was much better. Yeah. Yeah, much better. Um, so, um, a more technical question. Um, that guard that you were playing where you were wrapping your leg and your yeah. rappel, was that specific to this match or is that something that you've trained? Is that a, a That's one of my specialties. I do, uh, I do a lot of lapel stuff, worm guard, reverse worm guard, other lapel guard, a bunch of, a bunch of different variations. But I, I didn't feel the, the need to switch to my other variations. Kind of just worked and it worked again. If it works usually three times in a row, it's probably going to work again, you know? Um, he did a good job stuffing it a little bit, but I have uh, many ways to get it, so it was just one of the things that helped me like really put him down, you know? Yeah. Um, can, do you mind if I ask you, um, when did you start competing? Uh, five months into white belt, so... Like about how old were you? Um, probably like... Probably like 22 or 23. Okay. Yeah, I'm 28 now. Okay, so, so I've been while. competing since the beginning of my career. Have you been competing at high levels? Like when you yeah. were white belt, were you uh, doing local tournaments? Uh, white, no, white belt, I did more local ones. 
I, I, was very, I was one of those people that are very successful. I, I always win and always on the podium, which sometimes makes me like not care about second place. But um, yeah, I've been competing since I was, you know, since I started, and it went from like mid tier to high level, and then to like super high level. Right. You know, and I've been at a pretty high level for the last couple of years. Right. Um. Wait. And Unity hasn't been open that long. So where were you competing? Where were you uh, I was training at Aurora Athletics under Christian Montez. It's a browser affiliated school. It's uh, actually a couple of avenues away from Unity. And uh, I had great instructors there. They're good. They're awesome. But um, you know, at a certain time when you get like uh, to a certain level, you need to be surrounded with like you know people who can kick your ass, which is right. where I'm at. You know. Every day is not easy day. How do you feel about the, when I was there and, and I was drilling, I noticed there was these little kids. They looked like they were maybe seven and they were sitting there drilling like bear and bowls. And they yeah, were doing all the little kids, like 98% of them are all like little brown belts. <laughs> in my eyes, in my opinion. These guys know so many techniques, probably more than I know. Mm -hmm. and they're just amazing. They're going to be going crazy places. Um, how do you feel about the about about kids drilling in the same space? That's fine. Just don't hit them. Don't fall over on them. Yeah. That's fine. Um, uh, well, I'm really glad I got a chance to speak with you. Do you have any questions for Dirty White Belt Radio? Oh no, no. I just love Dirty White Belt Radio. They're really awesome. Uh, guys, helped me out. It was cool. Always good interviews. I think this is like my second interview, and you guys got it again. So. Awesome. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to train with you when we yeah. come up again and um, into New York, and we would love to have you back down in North, to North Carolina. Oosh. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. If you want to hear more from Junie, we have a full-length interview with him in the archive on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. He also makes a cameo appearance in our next post-match interview with Gavin Corbet. So Gavin and Eric Habel, who was Gavin Corbet's opponent at this Toro Cup, both put on great performances at the Mundials in the same division, the Blue Belt Light Featherweight Division. But they didn't wind up meeting each other at the Worlds. We thought this match would be exciting, and boy was it. Lourdes sat down with Gavin after the match to break the, the competition down, but he also talked with Gavin about his relationship with his brother, DeAndre Corbet, and you'll want to listen to this interview until the end, I think. Here's Lourdes sitting down with Gavin Corbet. Hi, Gavin. Hello. Um, so, why don't you tell me a little bit about your match? We're at Toro Cup 7, and you just had a match. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened and how you felt about it? Uh, I felt pretty good. I was just feeling my, like, warming up, too, in the beginning of the match, trying, uh, trying my techniques, see if they work. And by the end of the match, I felt good, and I was ready for the, for the submission, so I took his back and hit him with a bow and arrow. I wasn't... My original plan wasn't the bow and arrow. I tried to do it like a cross choke or some really basic stuff. But uh, he was pretty good. He he knew his stuff. He was stopping my technique, so I had to take his back and finish with the bow and arrow. Yeah. How far into the match before um, before you were able to get the submission? Uh, I think it was, it was an eight-minute match, right? So it was at the two-minute mark. Two minutes left, uh, I got the submission. In the first half of the match, I just tried to... Feel my opponent, uh, see what what he's what is strong, what he's strong at, and see if I could attack his weaknesses. And I felt like uh, he was exposing his back a little bit, and I almost got his back in the uh, right away. But I said I decided to let the match go a little bit, see how everything went. And by the end, or by near the end, I, I was able to take his back and finish with the submission. Um. So, Gavin, something that I, I wanted to talk to you about. One, congratulations on your win today. Thanks. 
And two, I wanted to talk to you about um, your jiu-jitsu and your jiu-jitsu training. How long have you been training jiu-jitsu? Uh, I've been training since I was nine. I started at Lynx Academy. Then the uh, jiu-jitsu instructor uh, left and made his own school, and I followed him. And just recently, like a year ago, I got my blue belt because you have to be 16 to get your blue belt. So I'm really the same experience as my brother, which he's a brown belt. And it's just the, the age that determines whether I'm a blue belt or not. So. Okay, so did you and your brother then start training together? Yeah, we started at the same time. We were the same rank until he turned 16, got his blue belt, and I stood. I kept with my kid's rank. Then four years later, I got my blue belt while he got his brown belt. Uh -huh. So, yeah. So you've been training about seven years then, I'm guessing? Uh, you said you started when you were nine? Uh, 17, yeah, around there. Okay. Seven, eight years. Okay, did you guys start um, as jujiteros or did you go into another art and then you found jujitsu? Uh, actually, when we were really little, we started Muay Thai. Then okay. after uh, a few years of training that, we found that uh, they had a jujitsu program. So we decided to do jujitsu. And after a while, we fell in love with jujitsu and strayed away from Muay Thai. And we've been just training ever since. Um, so do you and your brother, um, tell me what it's like to have a brother that trains. Uh, it's awesome. We, we eat, sleep, dream jiu-jitsu. We wake up, we drill in the morning, get some eat, get something to eat, go to the noon class, uh, get something to eat again, then uh, go to open mat at night. We do that every day. And it's really lucky because I, I have someone to talk to about jiu-jitsu and drill with, and we have like the same mindset. And we'll never like disagree or uh, disagree with anything because we're all basically the same. So I'm really lucky to have a brother like that. Do you guys, does it ever get kind of a, I know just like in general, like siblings can have sibling rivalries and like, oh, you know, like you got the best, you got better shoes or you're, you got more, you know, you're doing this and I want to do that. And so um, just like in general, kids will have rivalries, but do you see that at all in jujitsu? Like, are you like, oh, he's getting better at this guard pass and I wanted to do, or, uh, you know, like. Uh, not really. He tapped me today, and I, you know, I, you get upset about it. Uh, not really. We, in life, uh, we share a lot of things because we're around the same size now. And in jiu-jitsu, uh, yeah, my brother's better. He'll, he'll, he'll submit me, uh, dominate me every uh, role. But I get those little wins, like stop his pass, and that gets him mad, but that's a win for me. Uh -huh. But uh, generally, he usually dominates. I, but I, I'm fine with that. We're not, it's not really rivalry, rivalry. We just help each other out, so, yeah. um, Do you think that it helps to push you? Because uh, your brother is older and bigger, and like, how do you think yeah. it helps you? How do you think it affects your jiu-jitsu? Uh, it really helps my jiu-jitsu, I think. Because he's four years older than me, so what? when he's basically done with something, I'm starting it. So he's basically, uh, Cutting the path, or the he's guiding me through what he he went through and trying to make me better at what he did before. So, for example, like uh, we wrestle in high school, right? And he wrestled for four years, and after he graduated, I just started high school wrestling. So he really paved the path for me, and I really got better for that. So he's like really my guide instead of a rivalry. Yeah. That's that's pretty awesome. Um. I think it's great when you have when you are able to um, get along and you guys are able to obviously push each other. You're both um, strong competitors in, in our area and uh, you know across the um, across the jiu-jitsu scene. Um, 
one of my other questions is what was it like as you're, you said you just got your blue belt about a year ago mm-hmm. when you were 16 but you've been com- you've been training since you were nine how long have you been, have you been competing uh actually i've been competing since i was nine too uh, we started jiu-jitsu and three months later we saw a tournament in northern virginia copa nova and we didn't know much about it so we just gave it a shot we weren't really looking to win or lose or whatever. We were just trying to have fun. And yeah, ever since then, we just started doing competitions. Like at first it was like three or four times a year. Then as it as we got older, it started became more frequent, like every month. Gavin's a beast. <laughs> every month. <laughs> that was Junie from Unity. <laughs> we started competing every month. Now we compete like every two weeks and so and stuff like that. So yeah, it doesn't look like we're gonna stop. We're gonna start competing until probably until our body stops us, so whenever that is. So you've been competing since you're about nine. What is, what's it like to be a competitor, like competing so early on, like, in, because the jiu-jitsu tournaments can be pretty intense, and like, have you been to like worlds or any of these big tournaments? Yes, I've been to worlds and uh, tournaments like that, and it's, it really shows me like, jiu-jitsu is pretty big. It's like, it's like, there's so much stuff that I haven't learned or I haven't seen in jiu-jitsu. And it really gets me excited to see what the future holds for me. And uh, yeah, I, I love competing in uh, big tournaments like that. Win or lose, if it's just a great experience. As I mentioned when I was before the interview, and I was talking to you and your mom about um, some of the things I, I wanted to talk to you guys about, Sorry. and uh, that I'm talking to uh, um, young competitors right now and and kids that are just starting to compete. And you've been competing for a while, even though you're only 17. You're you're a veteran at competing and competing at a high level. What words of wisdom would you have, or do you have any, for um, for some of the young competitors that are looking up to you and your brother and um, are um, are just starting out with competing? Uh, just have fun. There's nothing really to stress about when you're little or competing when you're at a young age. It's just about experience, having fun, having a good time with your team, and things like that. You shouldn't really get mad about losing, and you shouldn't. Uh, and when you win, you should be gracious, but. Just have fun. I think competition, just have fun. No stress at all. I think I find, I find that I'm most relaxed in competition. Really? Yes. That's awesome. Do you want to give a shout out to anybody? Uh, just my brother and my uh, teammates at Coastal. Yeah. And my mom. <laughs> I consider her my teammate. <laughs> Your moms, your moms are a pretty big, a pretty big part of the team. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, and congratulations again on your win. Thanks. Moms are indeed the most important teammates. Another match between two people in the same Mundial division at Toro Cup that didn't wind up facing each other at the Worlds but did at the Toro Cup card happened between Nico Ball of Beta Academy and Amber Habel of Triangle Jiu-Jitsu. We talked about Amber's match on the show last week. Amber wound up winning this match in Toro Cup in impressive fashion with a bow and arrow choke, and I spoke with her afterward. Here's Amber Habel. So Amber, how does it feel to get your first Toro Cup win? It feels amazing. It just, you know, three times is a charm. <laughs> so you finished with a very slick bow and arrow choke and a really, really tough match against their game opponent, Nico Ball. What were you thinking when the choke finished and she tapped? What was the first thing that went through your mind? Oh, my God. I just finished a bow and arrow at a competition with lots of people watching me. <laughs> it, was, it was really great. I mean, it's my favorite choke. 
So you just competed at the Worlds, which is the biggest event with lots of people watching. And now you come in a different environment, not a tournament format, but a super fight format, again with a lot of people watching. Does the amount of people watching make a difference to you, or once you slap hands, does any, do the nerves go away? No, people, people watching doesn't really bother me. Jiu-Jitsu is fun. It's just a lot of fun for me. And so Worlds was a lot of anxiety. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun out there also. Um, but it was a lot of anxiety building up just for it being my first tournament at Worlds. And then this immediately, a week after that, it was just fun. It was it came out here to have fun, have a good time, see all my friends, eat Beverly's delicious cookies. And it, it was great. It's a poorly kept secret that everybody just comes to eat Beverly's baked goods. Uh, so did you scout Nico at all? Did you watch her matches or anything like that? Or did you just say, I'm going to go out and do my game and, uh, and you know, do my jiu-jitsu and see what happens? Heading into Worlds, I didn't really scout anybody. Um, just because of hearing Jason Colbreth talk about one match, you know, I, it's only one match at a time. Can't worry about the second match before you finish the first match. Uh, um, but I tried to find some Aniko stuff. Like, I tried to watch her match at Worlds. I think she went the same time I did or shortly after, so I didn't get to. I wanted to go back into the archives and find her match, but I never did. Um, but she was a lot of fun, and it was great to meet her. It was great to meet her out there at Worlds, um, and I really appreciate having the match against her. So I don't know if you set goals like this or if you think in these terms, but do you think this is your biggest win so far? And if it's not, what is? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, probably my favorite win, just because this is my third time doing Tour Cup, and uh, I really wanted the win all three times. And uh, they were all really hard matches against some great competitors. Um, but just finally getting that victory, it, it means a lot. What's the best part about Tour Cup? All the the great community. Our community is wonderful. Between the community, um, between Toro BJJ having some awesome gear to, to choose from, Beverly's amazing cookies, and now we got coffee here too. Like, I don't, uh, cookies and coffee, what, what more could you ask for after working really hard? <laughs> well said. Is there anything that you don't feel like people know about you or your jiu-jitsu that people should know about you and your jiu-jitsu? I don't know. I feel like it, it's not as much of a big secret that Eric and I travel so far to get such high-quality class training um, with such great teammates and everything. Just being able to compete at Worlds this, this last weekend was a huge goal for Eric and I. Like That was the whole reason why we started training at TJJ to begin with. It, wanting to compete at that level and be able to compete at that level, have an affiliation, you know, affiliated with competing at IBJJF was what we wanted, was our, our, our goal from the beginning of training at TJJ. Um, so I feel like our number one goal has been met now, and so now it's time to make new goals and, and figure out what the next step is and, and where we want to go from here. So you got your first Worlds under your belt, you got your first Toro Cup win under your belt, you're going to go back to Toro Cup next time and you're going to go back to the Worlds next year, do you plan on that? I really want to go back to Worlds as much as possible, as much as I can feasibly be able to make it and um, I will come back to Toro Cup as often as they invite us um, back, I will, I, I just, I enjoy competing, I, I want to compete. 
U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. Sometimes you go into an interview looking for one thing, but you come out with another. Lourdes sat down with two guys, Cody Malte from Elevate MMA and Andrew Bittner of Gracie Raleigh, who both got impressive finishes in their matches. And she was exposed to expecting, uh, she was expecting a post-match recap, but the conversation expanded far beyond that into a discussion of how different styles of learning impact the way you absorb jiu-jitsu, about how jiu-jitsu in North Carolina and beyond is growing, and about how we can grow it further. That's why this conversation is our featured interview. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality gis, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. This is Lourdes with Dirty White Belt Radio, and I'm speaking with... Cody Malte from Elevate MMA Academy. Andrew Bittner from Gracie Raleigh. Hi guys, we're at Toro Cup 7, and you guys both just had matches, so tell me a little bit about your match, what you thought about it, if anything surprised you. So I got uh, Josh Aguayu from uh, Pedro Sauer's team, and kind of what I expected, you know, he fights 135, and I've fought at 135 before for MMA, but I'm a little bit bigger for that weight class, so I knew I was going to have at least a little bit of a size advantage, and right when we tied up, I kind of felt a little bit stronger, and typically... You know, that, that's a good formula for me. So I got to do a lot of the stuff I'd been working on and a lot of things that I've been playing with in the academy and ended up catching a Dars somewhere around three minutes in to finish the match. So it was, it was a really good one. How about your match, Andrew? I was able to win by heel hook against uh, awesome dude Brian Nielsen um, in a little under four minutes maybe. Um, so, I mean, he is a he's pretty good wrestler, super heavy hips, so... I was pretty much expecting to get taken down at some point, and, and I did multiple times. But the one problem, the one hard thing that I expected to do was I was hoping to hit some sweeps off of that, but his hips are just so good. So I had to settle into my guard game, and, um, and, I, and I mean, he didn't make a mistake. It was, it was hard. I was trying to draw him in, trying to, trying to elevate his hips and, and look for a sweep. Um, but after three minutes and him, him grinding into me, I... He finally stood up, and I, I had to take the leg lock when it was there, and I ended up finishing by heel hook. But super tough dude. I've competed against him before, rolled with him before. Always fun rolling with the guy. Was there anything that you guys had planned to do and were able to execute today? So for the last couple months, I've put myself on a uh, not allowed to guillotine or leg lock anybody in the academy. I need to do that. So I finally was allowed to, like, do all that stuff again yesterday but I've been working a lot of back takes so I was able to take Josh's back and it's something that I've been practicing a ton so I was really happy about that and even though I didn't finish off the back I kind of used the transition off there to to get into the final sequence so it's really you know anytime you can like put a plan in place for a couple months to work something and then get to go out and show it against another black belt from a really respected team that was super exciting and, uh, you know, also just been working really, really hard on my wrestling in general. So to get the ankle pick takedown and stuff, that was, that was pretty exciting. So similar to Cody, but opposite in the fact that I didn't put myself on a band and I probably should. Um, 
I've gone against Brian before, and I actually didn't leg lock him previously because he is very good at staying low and keeping his hips back. So I was looking for this time. I was trying to – I wanted to look for the back. I wanted to either look for a Kimura on the over-under pass or even possibly a triangle when he postures up. Um, but I wasn't able to do that, and after three minutes in, I had to, I had to switch back to my A game. But I, I'm probably going to be putting myself on a no leg lock <laughs> at some point. I, I, I need a, I've been working back takes a lot in the gym. It's just it's, it's, it's hard to put it on the mat. A lot of tough guys don't like, like being on their back either, so that makes it difficult. Do you guys have a, a pre-game routine that you go through, like before you compete? Like how do you, how do you handle the pre-tournament or pre-competition jitters? So for me, there's a lot of stuff I do mentally, week of, day of, everything else to get locked into the right state. Today was a little bit different. The facility itself was so hot that there wasn't any really need to warm up. Like my muscles felt good. So I probably did, you know, 10% of what I normally do physically to warm up. But I felt really good and really confident. So I was able to kind of condense my routine down and, and still get pretty much the same result of my body being ready. I really don't like warming up before. I'll do a little stretching, um, but I feel like the more I warm up, the more I think about the match. So I, I like just doing my thing, like either just talking to people, hanging out, and then when it's my time to go, I just step up. Um, today was a little different, obviously, with the, with the heat, and I was sitting watching some of the matches, slowly giving myself anxiety. Always yawn, and there's lots of yawning, yes, <laughs> and sweating. Does the yawning help, like, as you just you doing No, yawning? it's just anxiety yawning. Okay. It's just something I do when I, when, when I start getting nervous, I just start yawning. So, but, no, it was fun. I, I stepped up, did my thing, pumped myself up, but, yeah. I don't really like doing too much before, because, yeah, I, I get in my own head too much. So now if you guys don't mind, I'm going to ask you guys to talk uh, to each other and talk to our listeners about each other's matches, because I'm assuming you saw you saw Cody's match and, and Cody, you watched Andrew's match. So um, to start the conversation off, I'm going to ask you, Andrew, how, um, how influential was um, Cody's beard in his match? How, how, how much did that help him? It definitely brought an intimidation factor, I'm sure. Um, when you got some guy with a beard and you tie up with him and you feel that, that strength, it's definitely one thing when you see it and then it's backed up too. Um, but yeah, his game, like, impressed with him, like, know he's been working on his back takes. So it's, it's cool seeing him get out there and implement it. And it's definitely motivating me to, like, try to switch up my game and be more inventive, trying to find the right environment to let that happen. Yeah, I'm trying to, have, I'm trying to be as good of a fighter as I am a beard grower, which is high standards, high standards for sure. <laughs> so do you have, what, what did you think when you were watching Andrew's match? Well, I love watching Andrew in general anytime because I talk to Andrew a lot and I respect him a lot in terms of how he prepares. He's got a brain that works almost opposite of mine. So he watches so much film and breaks down so much tape and he understands his own game in such a detailed way that I love to watch him go out and implement it. So for me, you know, like I like to warm up harder because I like to go out and be aggressive and be physical. And Andrew doesn't really warm up at all, and he's trying to just do the correct things technically. And over time, he just keeps, you know, getting better and better. So it's, you know, really been fun. And, you know, I always am excited anytime I'm at a tournament with him to watch him because I know he's putting in the work in the off time, and I'm excited to see what he's developing. And then I get to pick his brain and hopefully steal some of his moves. So a lot of the stuff that I've been working on leg lock wise and how I play my leg entanglements is because Andrew, you know, told it to me and taught it to me. 
So I, I use a lot of what he teaches. Do you guys get a chance to, to train often together then? Yeah, we, we get in once a month. Yeah, you know, it's, it's once a month, but there's always a lot of idea exchange. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so he's over at GR, and he has such great coaches there and such great training partners, and he's competing all the time. And then I have my guys, and my guys have been able to learn from Andrew and practice what he's teaching. And, like, the other night we were talking about just basic ashigurami, and one of my white belts was like, oh, but coach, what about this? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, the thing Andrew showed. And then he showed me, I was like, oh, I forgot that. Yeah, that's, that's the right way to handle that. So it's really nice that even those, like, small doses, it's really a big part of the development of our academy overall because we're trading a lot of ideas in that oh, yeah. time, and then we go workshop it for 30 days and then come back and, like, oh, is this thing that you said still true? Or I watched that match you did. Why wasn't this thing working? What, or, you know, or then we talk about, you know, like, guys who were on the card today, like Nikki and Ethan, and we say, hey, what are you seeing from them? Like, okay... They were doing, you know, a lot of outside ashy heel hooks. Then all of a sudden it was inside heel hooks. And now they're not even playing the legs. So, like, why, is, why are the legs not working for them the same way? And, and what are they doing to, to evolve with that? And trying to, you know, ride the wave of, of what's being really successful and trade that back and forth and then go back and get to work on it. And I think the coolest thing, too, is, like, since we only train once a month, it's like, yeah, we'll go to our own gyms. And then, especially with Cody having a newer gym, and you got these guys basically learning Cody's template, especially in the, you know, the headlock game, Darcy's guillotines. It's crazy to see how much they progress, like, every time I'm there. And even seeing how Cody's, like, because I know Cody's always has something he's working on. So, yeah, it's, it's always fun, like, just seeing the, those gaps every time you, you train together. I don't know if it's unique, but it's definitely an interesting aspect of training in the Triangle area, is that there's there seems to be such a, a brotherhood among the, the schools, and, and students um, are constantly, like, it, it feels like, uh, to, to me, that um, we're always welcome to train at each other's schools, and then there's always this nice exchange of ideas. Um, how much... Do you think that that's true? One, and how much of an influence? How, how do you think that's affected the growth of jiu-jitsu in the Triangle area? I mean, it's there. there there's no question. It, it it's helped the triangle grow in terms of just in general, like the depth of skill between all our gyms. I mean, we have we have gyms that are pretty well spread out, and I mean, there's there's very you know little if any competition between schools everyone gets you know comes even to events like this is just a great example of how we just always come together and just love putting on the show we all just love jujitsu in the triangle we're all just crazy nerds about it so it's 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 always fun being able to go to your buddy's gym train a little bit you're always welcome anywhere as long as you know you're a good person and you're you're, you're down to exchange ideas and have a good time yeah and i think it goes back to you know the history of everything of like how it all started with some members of the Gracie family coming here and Brandon Garner and his father were a big part of that and then you know Jason Colbreth and Greg Thompson and Anderson were all you know kind of running the gym in Hillsborough to start everything out and everybody came from that same route so even though I'm a Drysdale school now and I moved away due to the military I started under Billy and Jason so we always have an open door policy back and forth Brandon Garner was one of the most influential people on teaching me and Jason Wingate so both the guys who were at GR taught me when I was a white belt and brought me up through the ranks and so it's like when I have their students come through the gym I want to try to give back at least a little piece of that and then the even better thing is I feel like that feeling in the triangle you know we have you and Chelsea down at Great Grappling now and we have bagels up at revolution and i think that footprint of that community is growing and you saw at the worlds when gavin was disqualified 
the entire community said, no, that's one of our guys. You can't do that to him. Right. And, you know, when Caitlin was getting ready for Worlds, she went around the entire area finding the best lady she could train with to get her better. And everybody wanted to be a part of that. And they wanted to be a part of Kim succeeding and everything else. And as an area, I look at what Jeff's doing with Dirty Wipeout. I look at, you know, what Betty's doing with Roll Forever, what Boomer does with Toro and Cage side, and how much they're putting behind growing the community. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as we maintain that, you know, mindset of like, let's, whoever's doing well from each gym, let's get them with other people and get them as good as we can, as fast as we can, so we can succeed on the national level. And when we bring in somebody like Nikki and Ethan, let's steal as much knowledge from them as we can and, and learn from them. And then use that to influence our game and then hopefully meet up with them a year down the line and do the same thing like Andrew and I do once a month and just continually grow the level, grow the level and then see, you know, in the Carolinas and beyond how much we can put ourselves on the map nationally and internationally in all these competitions. Yeah. I think it's about just, just bringing everybody up with you. If, if I mean, for me, like, I love the sport. I love studying the sport. You know, I spend three hours a day at least, you know, thinking about jiu-jitsu, studying jiu-jitsu. Like, I feel like it's my responsibility definitely at Gracie Raleigh even, you know, to try to bring people up with me. I know every time I hit a move on somebody, the first thing I do is teach them how to beat it. Mm -hmm. Like, I want people to be able to beat my game, to push me to the next step, whatever it's. If, if, if I'm the second or third transition in a series, like, I want to teach them how to defend all three of those to put me on the fourth, right? And I think, you know, our long-term development, I look at what Jeremy does down at Great Grappling and how he's been able to take CJ and Josh and Caitlin in and give them opportunities to be professional athletes, and that's what we need to create more of. Mm -hmm. And there's so many, um, you know, from the beginning when there was two black belts in the state of North Carolina when I started training, to now there's over 20 black belts just in the triangle, mm -hmm. which is crazy. And it's like, but then I look down at the ranks of brown belt, and purple belt, people like Andrew who are purple belts, but I know they're going to be in the sport for for the long haul. And I'm like, well, we've got to create more opportunities for them so everybody can have their own school that's professionally successful and well-run, and we teach each other best practices about how to open a school and how to run businesses and everything else. And I've been very lucky in my new school to be able to talk to so many of the school owners, and they've helped me. And whenever someone comes to me and says they're talking about opening a school, I'm like, well, let me show you exactly what I did. I'll, sh I'll open my books completely and show you what's going on because that's a part of it. And then that's the next step beyond that is identifying the young white belts, blue belts, purple belts, and giving them more resources and giving them more help and, and holistically improving the entire scene. Mm -hmm. I agree. Doodle <laughs> <laughs> bang. Um, something that... Um, and, and Something that I think that our um, our community, the community in the Triangle area, really kind of abides by is one. I think everybody believes in the whole um, in the the idea that the rising tide raises all ships. And um, something that Mary Holmes, who trains at Chapel Hill Grace Jiu Jitsu, said um, when we were preparing for um, uh, to send Caitlin and Kim Rice to uh, to Worlds recently is. And she was talking to the women that came out to help get them prepared. And she was like, you know, there's room for everyone at the table. And I really feel like that's something that um, everybody in the Triangle area, all the schools in the Triangle area, have really kind of, like, taken to heart. And it's so easy to get lost in the next 30 days, you know, and, everybody, and look at the short-term things of, like, did one student leave your school or did one student switch to a different academy? But I look at, like, 10, 20 years from now. I mean, my daughter just turned two years old. And I'm like, okay, well, what type of community are we going to have for her 
10 and 20 years from now for her to be a part of if she chose uses and for all you know the students in our kids program like what resources are going to exist by the time they turn 18 how many of those individuals that choose to make this their life's passion are going to have opportunities Mm -hmm. and so that's you know looking way down the line it means we all have to work together and we all have to pull a little bit of weight to accomplish something really big together yeah i mean i've only been in the sport for six years now and it's it's a pleasure hearing people especially like cody and even you know my coach brandon just talk about the history of the sport especially in the area how much it's grown so far and and i mean in, in you know their vision for it in the future because i know people like cody people like my coach brandon bumpkin jason jason wingate you know they i mean they're in it for the long haul and they you know they're excited to see what jiu-jitsu is going to look like in you know 10 20 years and you know it's, it's it's picking their brain like right now and like you know seeing that vision of what they you know where they think it's going and what it's going to be and you know it's exciting you know i plan on being this in the long haul too so well i think we're very fortunate to have both of you um in the area and um and because you're both bringing a lot you know to the community and i'm really excited to that you know you brought ethan and and nikki down and with with betty and um so there's a lot of exciting things happening in the Triangle area, and, and it's exciting to see that other people are recognizing now that there's some exciting things happening in the Triangle area. Um, so I'd like to thank both of you guys for speaking with me today. Is there anything you'd like to add before I go? No, just thanks for having us. I'll... Yeah, th- thanks for letting us talk. I mean, to Jeff and Lourdes for doing such a great job with the show, Boomer for using his company to support this scene so much, for Betty and, and Eric from Ruckus and Gita Bot. You know, these are people that give everything they can give to support what we're doing and it's all part of creating this holistic ecosystem that can raise up what we're doing and it takes you know everybody's got a role to play so we just all need to find that role and and pitch in to do what we can to bring everybody to that level like cody said we all have a role to play our goal for this show involves playing a variety of those roles, from putting on seminars and events, to documenting what's already happening with local jiu-jitsu, to bringing in people from out of the area to contribute. We started the show talking with a couple of those excellent out-of-the-area competitors, and that's how we're going to finish the show, wrapping up the event by talking about it with Nikki and Ethan. This is Lourdes with Dirty White Belt Radio, speaking with... Nikki Ryan. Ethan Crollinston. And you guys both just had a match um, at Toro Cup 7. So tell me a little bit about your matches and what really stood out to you guys. Um, so I was actually very surprised. My opponent was uh, he was entering my legs, trying to leg lock me. And, you know, my game plan for this event was to come in and not do leg locks. I wanted to, you know, try and pass and take his back. He just kept entering my legs. So uh, in the last two minutes, I uh, started attacking his legs, and I was able to uh, get a heel hook from 50-50. So uh, my opponent was, um, I faced him once before at the 135 finishers. Uh, I don't know if I'd say I'm surprised or not surprised. You know, he kind of just was difficult to uh, off balance, difficult to really get inside his legs. I felt I couldn't, I was kind of thinking a lot about triangles and uh, back takes spinning underneath. Uh, But he had a good base, so entered the legs and finished with a outside heel hook. I know that, Nikki, you were talking about wanting to maybe do something different than the legs in, in the pre-match interview. and um, So this did not necessarily go the way you thought it was going to go. Yeah, yeah. I was expecting, you know, my opponent to try and, like, uh, disengage with the legs. Like, he's, like, a position that he didn't really want to be in. But uh, he, he, was, he was attacking my legs, so I had to uh, counter and finish the match. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm happy with the way my match went. Um, I mean, I, I'm not really... 
whatever submission I can get to, I'm, I'm happy with, as long as it's a submission. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way my match went. I went in, tried a bunch of different attacks, and one of them worked. So, success. So what did you think about each other's matches? Okay, so I was, uh, we were both cornering each other, and uh, obviously before the match started, Nikki was, you know, very vocal about how he wanted to uh, demonstrate another part of his game. You know, in the gym, Nikki takes the back, does crazy, pretty much every submission in the book, including leg locks, but people don't really know that he has a wide, a very wide arsenal of attacks, so we want to show that, but uh, I was also surprised his, his opponent was pulling him into leg attacks, uh, which, you know, was, yeah, not many other opponents do that, so um, I guess we were both surprised, yeah. What do you think about uh, Ethan's match? You know, I mean, there's, there's not much to say about Ethan's match. He pretty much came out, entered into the legs, and finished, and that was, like, the whole match. You're like, it was just, it was just kind of, like, textbook? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I do have, I do want to talk to you guys, though, about competing, and especially about competing, um, as uh, young competitors, I know Nikki, you um, travel a lot with Gary Tonin and you know, with John Donaher, and I know you also started competing somewhat young, um, Ethan. Um, <laughs> and um, so, what's what's it like to be um, a, a young competitor? And you even have a brother that competes. And what's it like to have a brother that competes at a high level? And what are the expectations? Or like, are you, like, how does that? work into your, the way that you train? So um, I'm actually very glad that uh, I'm competing this young because I feel like it takes a lot of pressure off me. You know, like if I go in and I lose, it doesn't matter because I'm competing way above my league, okay? Like I'm, I'm competing with adults that are brown and black belts and I'm a 15-year-old white belt. So if I lose, it, it, it really doesn't matter. Like I'm supposed to lose. So it, it definitely helps uh, with my anxiety and helps take a lot of pressure off of me. So actually, that's that's something that um, that's a kind of a theme that I, since I've been talking to people that have started competing younger, is that they keep saying that like when they were younger and competing, that there was just like this no pressure and it was just kind of like it was a lot more fun and it didn't start to change for them until they got a little bit older and and um, and the matches started to mean a little bit more. Um, how does training with your brother or having an older brother that trains? How does that affect your training? Uh, it's definitely a, a huge positive uh, for my training. Um, you know, like my, my brother helps me every day on the mats, you know, getting better. If I have any questions, I can always ask him. You know, he's, he's definitely a huge help in the development of my jiu-jitsu. Do you ever feel um, any competitiveness? Like, uh, he won this at this age. I really need to try to get that, or I, need, I really need to try to win it before, you know, or any kind of competitiveness? Not really, just because uh, my brother started, com like, seriously competing later. Um, so like like when he was like he didn't start winning things until he was like 1920 you know, that's when he started getting his name out there and I'm still so young so there's nothing like there's no really like goals that I have set to beat him in yet mm -hmm. what was it what's it like or what was it like for you to be competing early on even uh, pretty much I guess I, I didn't really feel like I was that young when I started competing I probably started training uh, I think I started training at 18 or 19 and I just started competing. I was never really like the younger competitor. I mean, I, I just turned 23, so I'm not old, but I don't know, it was kind of, I guess, the average age. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it, it may seem kind of average, but I talk to a lot of people that are like, oh, I started when I was in my early 20s, and I wish I would have started as a kid in the kids' programs. Do you guys ever, um, like, do you see the kids? I, I know Professor Zed at Henzo Gracie teaches the kids' programs. Do you ever see the kids' program or the kids in there? And- uh, no. All of our sessions are in the morning and the afternoon, and all the kids' classes are at night. So by the time kids' classes start, we're already, I'm, or I'm already back in New Jersey. Okay. Yes. And what would you say to the, to, to the little kids that are out there competing? I actually interviewed um, a seven or six-year-old today um, that competes, and, um, and it was pretty cute. But what, what, would you, what would your advice be to the little six- and seven-year-olds that are competing at their local tournaments? Um, you know, if you, you really like jiu-jitsu and, you know, you think that you're going to want to do it, definitely stick with it. You know, uh, don't take any breaks. You know, when I, when I was, like, nine years old, I had actually started training. I was, like, on and off for, like, a month, like, two days a week, and I, I wish I stuck with it. You know, I'd probably be much better than I uh, than I am now. So my advice is, you know, just to, if you really like jiu-jitsu and that's what you want to do, stick with it and follow through with it. you have any advice to the little kids? Uh, for the little kids doing jiu-jitsu and competing in tournaments uh, you should stop right now go back to school you'll make more money uh no if if you want to if you want to do this as a living it's really a very fulfilling life you'll see the world uh just be serious about it don't get hurt in competitions don't get hurt in the gym and uh train harder than all your competitors and you'll see the world through jiu-jitsu i promise but you'll be poor you'll be happy because you get to travel. Um, so one last question is one that I, I asked um, one of your teammates, Gary Tonin, um, about, I, it was about the uh, pre-competition routine. Like, if, if, do you have a routine or do you have something that you do before, either of you guys, before you compete? Do you have, like... Uh, not really, you know, I like to j- just move around a little bit. I, I like to get up and walk and jump in place a little bit just to get all the nerves out, you know, shaking my arms and things like that, but there's nothing nothing else that I really do. Okay. Yeah, same thing, pretty much just make sure I don't expend any energy in the morning, relaxing day, and then, yeah, when I get to the mats, warm up, jump in place, move around maybe with someone I trust, and then, yeah, focus, compete, win. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to Dirty White Belt Radio and for coming to the Triangle area and competing and doing the seminar. We're excited to see your seminar tomorrow. And thanks so much, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. So that's our show for the week. There's no way that we could recap all that happened in Toro Cup 7 in one show. So watch the website and the Facebook page for bonus content, including audio, photos, and more recaps of the matches that you didn't hear about. I want to thank everyone who pledged to the Patreon in the first week, especially Mark Kukro, Cody Malte, Chris Holmes, Carl Krebs, and Betty Broadhurst, who contributed at the podcast shout-out level. If you want to join them, you can at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt. The show's music is by Tune, The Real Law, and DJ Minilove. Lotus Cantu and Betsy O'Donovan share the hosting duties. My name is Jeff Shaw, and we will see you next week. (laughs) 